We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. It's always nice to talk about supporting people, but until you actually go out and learn strategies that effectively do that, all it is is just talk. And we all know where we get with just talk. That's right. It leads to frustration non-supported educators, and an overall feeling of being unengaged. So what I've done in this episode is I've decided to go through some of these ways that you can support those you serve. It's a path to support. And there's, there's six different things that I covered specifically in my book, Seeing to Lead. What I want to do is share those six things, but this is just part one. So I want to share three things. In this episode, I talk about strategies for building trust because without trust, you don't get anything done. Trust is the building block for any type of support you want to offer somebody because nobody is going to take any advice or be authentically supported or be open about what support they need if they don't trust you. Then I talk about coaching instead of mentoring because often when we talk about support, we almost fall into the trap of sympathizing with somebody instead of empathizing with them. So if we're mentoring instead of coaching, yes, we have that relationship. It's personal and their trust does build up, but we don't get to the end result of their overall improvement. And finally, I talk a little bit about the importance of communication and how to increase and improve the communication you have with those you serve so that your level of support can increase and their level of achievement can increase. So look, this isn't the normal conversation you hear on Seeing to Lead. I still hope that you find value in it. I sure do think you will. Once you find that value, I want you to do me a favor. Share this on social media with your biggest takeaway. And also, just as important so other people can hear it, hit that subscribe button. Leave me an honest rating and review. I love feedback. Because truly, that's the only way we can ever improve. And if you want to hear these things more in depth with more strategies all around supporting, engaging, and empowering, go ahead and pick up a copy of my book wherever you get your books. Thanks again. And like I always like to say, let's get to getting better on Seeing to Lead. Trust is the loudest voice in the room when a person asks themselves, is this person really trying to help me? And as leaders, I need you to ask yourself this question. Have you taken the time, honestly taken the time, to build a relationship, authentically listen to those you serve's needs, and provide objective, low-risk feedback? If you can't answer that yes right away, then maybe you haven't done it to the extent that you could or in a manner that will play back 
tons and tons of value as that person begins to trust you and then improve in their craft. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Hey, everyone. Dr. Jones here. And if you haven't guessed by now, this is not a normal episode of Seeing to Lead. While I love talking to guests, I also want to keep an eye on offering you the most value that I possibly can by giving you the most resources that I possibly can. And this podcast, I want to talk to you about support. Now, you know that I've written the book, Seeing to Lead, that talks about supporting, engaging, and empowering those you lead. Support, being the first part of that, is one of the most important parts of that. And so I wanted to take a moment and discuss with you or talk to you about the idea of support and how we can better support all those we lead. You see, I've been lucky enough to be able to talk to many teachers and many leaders over the past two plus years of the podcast, but even more as the book was being created. And recently, I've been able to talk to multiple students to hear what they think supports them the most. But when I was writing this book, yes, it pertains to students, but it also pertains to teachers and leaders alike. And so when I talk about support, I want you to think about something. There are many ways to build support with those you lead. And I lay those strategies out in the book. But what I want to do here is take a moment as part one and explain some of these different areas to you. You see, because one of the most important parts of building support is building trust. That's one of the strategies. And I would actually say that's the most important strategy. Now, we often talk about building trust, but we don't always talk about how to build trust. And while it's important to note that support isn't always about being kind or complimentary, we have to keep four things in mind when we approach the topic of supporting teachers out there. The four things is first, no one, and I mean no one, ever gets up in the morning, goes through their routine, drives to work, gets out of their car with a big stretch and says, you know what? I want to suck at my job today. They don't say that. It just doesn't happen. And so second is a question that has always come to mind for me. Why don't we apply what we say about our students to teachers? And you know what I'm talking about, that age-old saying, if the students could do better, they would. So what is it as leaders that keeps us from saying, hey, if our teachers could do better, they would? And third is the idea that we, as building leaders, often prejudge a person's situation or motive 
before taking the time to discover the truth about why they're acting the way they are. No, instead, we often prejudge and don't withhold judgment or investigate while they're acting that way. And then finally, think about this. And this is important. Whenever you're meeting with a teacher to correct a misstep or improve a practice, I don't want you to ever say to them, what I'm telling you is what's best for kids because suddenly they're defensive. It puts them right on edge because what you're saying by saying that, the subtext is that they're not doing what's best for kids or they don't know what's best for kids. Now, the whole idea about trust, think about this. I want you to remember that trust is the loudest voice in the room when a person asks themselves, is this person really trying to help me? And as leaders, I need you to ask yourself this question. Have you taken the time, honestly taken the time, to build a relationship, authentically listen to those you serve's needs, and provide objective, low-risk feedback? If you can't answer that yes right away, then maybe you haven't done it to the extent that you could, or in a manner that will play back tons and tons of value as that person begins to trust you and then improve in their craft. And if you if they improve in their craft, think about this. Everybody's happier because everybody wins. So I have an exercise I want you to do. But first, I want you to think about something. Think about this. When we don't have trust built up or feel as if we can't trust somebody, it leads us to talk about people rather than to people. And once we start doing that, communication breaks down, rumors start, and all that prejudgy stuff comes into play. So I, w- I want you to try this. Think about a person you don't trust who can evaluate you. Just think about that. That's happened to many of us that are listening to this right now. Think back to a time where there was a person you really couldn't trust and they were in charge of your evaluation. Do you remember what it was like sitting across from them as they're talking to you about how much they want to support you and moving forward? Do you remember that feeling of, I'm not sure what I can say to them because I don't trust them? Get that detailed picture in your mind. Remember it. Feel it. And then I want you to think about the difference between what you told them and what you held back for fear of not trusting what they would do with the information. Think about how valuable that difference in information is for supporting your growth. And now here's the hard but honest question of this activity. How many times are you as a leader missing the opportunity to authentically support someone because you're missing that piece of information due to a lack of trust. Okay, so here we go. We talked about building trust, and I want to give you some action steps to making sure that you get to build that trust. The first one is you need to build a relationship. Having a relationship with those you lead helps facilitate honest and authentic conversations between the two of you, which then helps you have honest conversations and give honest feedback so that growth can occur for everybody involved. 
And you do that by focusing on individuals as people rather than titles. That's right. I said it. Oftentimes, we mention somebody in the very next breath, we define who they are instead of describing who they are. It's very finite, and it usually comes with a title. But when we do that, we limit who they are as individuals and limit how we see them. This also allows you to put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself what you would want for support if you were them in this situation. The next piece is to listen. We all like to give surveys about different people. And now I mention in the book different surveys about likes, needs, aspirations, and a weekly check-in form I use. That's all great stuff if you use the information to facilitate conversations about their personal lives because their personal lives include wins, losses, and struggles outside of the building. And if you truly listen to what they say and then discuss those things with them, they begin to trust you because you're seeing them as that person. And even better, you're supporting them as that individual person. And here's the news. Leaders who do not listen are unable to successfully build trust and therefore support individuals. Even if teachers do not immediately share the deeper information about their lives with you, there's still opportunity to build that trust by consistently asking about topics personal to them other than their work. Now, you may be saying, okay, so we sit around and talk, but how does that equate to classroom observations? Well, that's the third step. What you need to do to help build trust, especially when you're talking about performance, is conduct frequent and objective observations. I mean, think about it. Evaluations are when trust is most vulnerable because somebody's being judged. Somebody's being graded, if you will. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation for another podcast, maybe even another book. But think about it. When you're evaluated, oftentimes it makes it feel as if it's about you rather than the act in which you're engaging. That's kind of tough to deal with because you take it personally. Once you take it personally, it's very hard to stay open-minded so that you can actually receive feedback in a meaningful way. So how do we do this? How do we do this as leaders? Well, think about it. If you come in frequently and then when you see them, you just observe for a little while without making any judgments. Maybe you ask some clarifying questions about what you saw. It shows that you're interested in learning more before you pass judgment on what they're doing. In essence, it places value on them as a professional rather than just a cog in a wheel or somebody that you don't have very high expectations for. I've learned so much just by asking questions about what I'm observing. Once some time progresses, Start giving feedback in a manner that's positive and ask questions. Once you do this, teachers then see you more as an objective voice, and they're open to constructive feedback and suggestions based on the rapport you have built. The most important thing to realize about all these action steps to build both that personal and professional trust that's so important is that consistency is key. You need to interact with your teachers often, continually listening to what's occurring in their lives and frequently observing them in their practice. In fact, let them do the same for you. How can you ever expect your teachers to trust you if you don't do the same in return? 
Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So once you've built that trust and you're consistently seeing teachers, the next thing you need to realize, the next mindset, if you will, when you're talking about supporting them is that you have to remember Truly, honestly, supporting teachers for improvement is more about coaching than mentoring. Now, sometimes people will mix those terms up, but if you think about it, coaching is still working with somebody on a personal level, but there's an expected outcome. Whereas mentoring, you help a person grow. Two roles are close to the same, but the coach needs to get that specific performance or result from the person. Mentors do not. This really became clear to me when it was early in the morning and I'd already spent two hours assembling, loading onto a bus, and just throwing government-issued DEET all over me, then driving around Paris Island and following the intake procedure for recruits, screaming and all. That's right. I was able to take part in the educator workshop for the Marines down on Paris Island. And as I watched all this unfold and waiting for my turn on the confidence course, what a lot of us call the obstacle course, I listened to the DI, the drill instructor, and he was explaining some of the process and meaning behind Marine basic training. And they talked about how they worked with the recruits with a lot of control right at the beginning, very tight, very rigid, high expectations, And then gradually, as they went through the training, they released control and they helped them move along and they became more of a coach and somebody that worked with them than put something on them. You see, this model that the Marines use of gradual release or increased trust reminded me of a coach who has a team full of individuals. Sports are performance-based. They require certain skills to be successful. And you'll notice the coach getting to know their players. They understand what motivates them and the level of each one. And then they tailor practices to meet the needs so that when it comes time to perform, they're in the right place to be successful. Isn't that what we're really trying to do with teachers? Isn't that what teachers are really trying to do with students? I mean, think about it. Yes, we want to build that kind relationship. Yes, we want to be friendly. But yes, we need a certain level of performance. So how do we do that? Let's put it this way. It's my view that it's not the current evaluation system 
that at least we have in Massachusetts. Many evaluation systems are based on what's occurring and how well the person being evaluated is progressing toward their goal. This type of system reinforces the philosophy of evaluating what has happened rather than what can happen. It's based on lag rather than lead indicators. It doesn't take into account the fact that people adjust along the way and change along the way. Instead, it measures certain times, certain periods, and says, you did it or you did it. So what I want you to do is take these action steps to help teachers get to realize that it's a process that should be measured along the way so that there's plenty of time to get better. So how do we do that? Go through this exercise, and it's an idea of how you can actually do this with teachers and play it out so that you're not just measuring what has happened, but you're measuring what could happen. Take a list of your staff members or their evaluations and split that list into three levels of performance. It doesn't matter what you label them. Just make sure you have a high, medium, and low performance level. Now, what I personally do is I combine skill and performance together because it's quite possible you can have a high skill level teacher with low performance, but more on that later. For this exercise, they can be combined. Select a person from each list and write down one of their strengths. As an educator, reflect on how they can improve in that area. This is going to allow you to begin building trust and confidence. Informally observe that educator in action and know where their strength comes out and one of their areas of need. And then within 24 hours, preferably face-to-face, or unless you use a voice feedback tool like I do, meet with that person to discuss what you observed. During that meeting, take the time to explain how you appreciate their strength and make a suggestion of how they may be able to make it even a little stronger. Now, this is where it happens. This is where things really turn around because then using that area of strength as a springboard, ask to reflect on how they could apply it to the areas of need you noticed. And then after that conversation ends, You leave them with a question. You say to them, how can I support you in shoring up that level of need, that area of need? Then ask for, and I would say schedule it right there, a time where you can come observe them putting that improvement into practice. Doing this is going to help you move from ideas of support and improvement to action on future iterations of the practice based on the individual context. That's right, it wraps it all up. It's not about the end picture. This helps you step right into the middle of it and massage it, for lack of a better term, as you move forward. It helps the teacher realize that it isn't about them as a person because they have a lot of strengths, but it helps them realize they can apply those strengths to the areas in which they need to improve. So I want to leave you with this question when we're talking about coaching instead of mentoring. Do you know what motivates your teachers? Have you tailored professional development to their unique needs? Does your level of direction mirror their level of need? And do you have those specific lead indicators to guide you in helping them reach their highest level of performance? The last piece I want to touch on when I'm talking about supporting teachers 
is communication. Now, this is a part one, and there's different areas that I'm going to talk about later moving forward in part two. But I can't miss the idea of how important communication is. The reason I say that is because so much of our communication, especially when we're building trust, especially when we're coaching instead of mentoring and we're trying to help teachers get better, so much of it is around feedback. And so it's super important that communication is clear and direct. Now, direct doesn't mean it's rude or that it's got to be uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes there's going to be some uncomfortableness, but it's important that it's clear because the difficulty around communication is that it's often received through the filter. Well, I say often, it's always received through the filter unknown to who's doing the communicating. The person listening hears it from a different perspective than the person giving the message. And as a result, interpretations of that message vary from person to person. But also what we don't think about is the context varies too, based on when they hear it. So that's right. I'm saying it out loud. Communication needs to be varied based on the skill level or the performance level of the person you're giving it to. No matter the skill level of the teacher, they do have to realize one thing, and this is on the person communicating to get across, that you're not telling them where they're falling short. In fact, you're honestly communicating to help them get better and exceed even their own expectations. And all these conversations should end with some sort of recognition of the areas for support and some suggestions for one to three small actions that are relatively easy to execute. So you've got that, right? You've built trust. You're coaching instead of mentoring. You're coaching by helping push them towards where they need to be. You're highlighting their strengths. And then you communicate just a few areas where they can step forward and realize success as they move forward. And now, a real important thing I have to say about communication before I close this off is that when we're giving feedback as leaders, whether we're evaluating or whether we're just giving informal feedback, if we really want that feedback to be effective and for people to hear it and use it, we have to remember the following. When we're giving information about where a teacher has fallen short, we need to depersonalize it. When we're giving information about where a teacher has done well, we need to personalize it. Doing this allows the communication to be accepted. For example, I see a teacher that's struggling with their transitions. So instead of going to the teacher and saying, hey, you know, I really noticed you're having trouble with your transitions. You need to think about this and that. Immediately, think about when this has happened to you. Immediately, you start to say, oh, whoa, they're saying that I'm not good at transitions and we start to personalize it and get defensive. So the teacher is going to get defensive. So instead you say, you know, I noticed during some of the transitions, so-and-so, you mentioned another teacher, tries to do these things and the students tend to respond really well to it. I wonder what that would look like in your classroom. See what happened there? Now the teacher hears about another teacher that's been successful because let's be honest. More often than not, the teacher knows where they need support. 
And then they'll try that. They're more open-minded to it. Where the next piece, when they do something good, say their opening activity, their hook was really good to a lesson. You, you see that and you say, boy, that was a fantastic hook that you designed. That opening that you put with your students to start that lesson, that was fantastic. What a great idea. So I've personalized that. We all like to hear that we've done something well. The teacher then keeps more of an open mind and is willing to hear some feedback. Well, that's it for now. Those are the first three of six things that I wanted to talk to you about on your path to supporting teachers. I'll be back at some point later with the other three, but try some of these three. Use some of these activities. More importantly, tell me how they worked for you. I'd love to hear it. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you're interested in talking to me more about ways to support teachers or support students, I'm in. I love learning from people and amplifying voices. So if you want to talk to me, great. If you want to be on the podcast, even better. If you have some friends that want to be on the podcast, I'd love to hear from them too. Remember, the way we all get better is to see each other, support, engage, and empower. If you found value in this podcast episode, I'm asking you a favor. Hit that subscribe button. Give it a rating if you want, or even take the extra step and give it a review. But most importantly, share it with others because while others can hear it, if you subscribe, rate, and or review, the quickest way to get others to hear it is to also share it with your friends. I'd really appreciate it. And I also invite you to check out my book, found anywhere on Amazon or at seeingtolead.com. Thanks for listening. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Seeing to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Seeing to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. 
Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E.